0: Hello, my name is Matt Pullman, and welcome to the very first episode of Missing Words, the podcast. In this first episode, we're talking bands and nostalgia with one of my favorite musicians of all time, Blake Schwarzenbach of the band Jawbreaker. After years of rumors and offers, Blake and the band announced a couple months back that they would be getting back together, and playing for the first time in 21 years at Riot Fest in Chicago. Nostalgia with bands and reunions go hand in hand. Bands who maybe didn't get the credit they deserved back in the day, coming back years later to find themselves playing to bigger crowds than before, getting more money than before, and even maybe getting better, or sometimes worse, than before. There is also the fan component to this equation. How and why do perceptions about music change over time? Why would now classic albums like the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, Stooges' Funhouse, or Weezer's Pinkerton to get negative reviews at first. Nothing has changed with these records. The only thing that has really changed is the different sets of ears hearing them for the first time. These are questions that don't really have an answer, but the relationship between nostalgia and cashing in can sometimes clash, especially in the ever-challenging world of punk rock. Take Seminole 90s band Jawbreaker. years of shredding vocal cords and guitar strings across the country and globe, the band started to find success, and then major label interest after the Green Day bomb went off. Major labels were clamoring for the next big thing. The next album that would line an A&R person's wallet with Nirvana Nevermind-esque money and success. Things didn't quite work out that way for Jawbreaker. After signing with the major label DGC Records, the label that put out Nirvana, the band released an album that polarized its fan base. This record also turned out to be their last record. The record was Dear You.
1: I saw through your wrist to find a better trap that saw through your traps to find better you, a part of you that lasts.
0: The criticism came in pretty heavy. The vocals were different, the production was slick, but nothing about that record felt any different than what a lot of bands were doing at the time. But for some reason, Jawbreaker got hit harder than most bands. It could have been a variety of things causing this. The band was pretty vocal against their opposition to major labels in the beginning, but then they actually went through with it. It could have been that people felt this band was theirs, not MTV's. Here's Jawbreaker frontman Blake Schwarzenbach on facing the criticism head-on and the pressures that came at that time.
1: I mean, I think in our case, there was a lot of anticipation, a kind of false narrative was being established like they're they're going to be green day yeah or nothing right you know and we were just ourselves basically yeah which meant like our other records like none of them came out to great fanfare it was always kind of like i mean no one knew we were so that helped yeah (laughs) so like you know it took a couple years of touring until people were singing our own songs back to us right and in this case, it was a little more public because there was press and a label that was actually pushing us. So, I, I mean, I feel that way, but all the records I've discovered usually aren't in the moment they drop. Right? I'm, not, I'm not really there on board from the beginning, just because I'm kind of not a major consumer
0: yeah. of music. I, I just find it when it finds me. After the dust settled, DRU started to gain some steam. The record started getting heard by a whole new generation of people, myself included, that weren't a part of the scene or were far too young to be truly engaged in it. To me, Dear You is the band's best record. I have my fair share of nostalgic moments with it too. Being pissed off and broke right out of college at a dead-end job. The record was my release. I certainly wasn't alone in my thoughts either. Some bands, embarrassing or not, around my age group started to love that record as well. The write-ups and the retrospectives started coming out and you could generally feel that a reunion was much desired by a whole new generation, and maybe some older fans too. So it wasn't really, I don't really have
1: much problems with like the legacy or the the blowback we got back in the day. That seems so small now in light of the the real world we all live in. My concern, why I often said I wouldn't do it or could, was that I felt like I couldn't physically. Singing in Jawbreaker was really physically demanding for me. Yeah. I'm just not a singer that way. Always. It was much like it was like any kind of punk rock band. I think you do, your body does things that are based on emotion and like rage and right. sadness that are yeah. not technical, you right. know? And that was my learning how to sing was just through like desperately trying to express myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I was really afraid before when we would get these like offers to play huge things. I was like, I just don't, I don't know if I can do that with my voice anymore. Right. And, uh, and I didn't want to do it if it wasn't going to be good. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone's worried about Jawbreaker selling out in <laughs> 2017, they're, yeah. they're clearly not living in this world. <laughs> you know? One, two, three, four, punk, what's the story?
0: And to that point, that seems to be the general reaction. Of course, there will always be the few who question this, but in a post-Coachella reunion world, it seems like people just want to see the bands that make them happy. Some reunions truly work out, and bands pick up right where they left off before. However, some of them do not work out. Tensions come flaring up again, but the bands continue to collect paychecks for the hell of it and just deal with it. I know this is all from a fan's perspective, but sometimes you can feel when a band just hates each other, but they don't hate the money.
1: Selling out is just so endorsed now. I feel like there's a culture online that's that's so pro-success. Yeah. Which has really been my like battle for the last ten years. Of people people get mad at people would get mad at me for not promoting myself better. Right. Like, what the hell is forgetters? You know, why don't you capitalize it? Like. And inside that, the statement is like, why don't you capitalize on like who you are? And people seem like really hurt or offended that I wasn't trying to do something bigger or more like, yeah, it it really made me retreat and do it even smaller. In a lot of cases, or just, you know, I, I just don't understand that, that kind of philosophy.
0: But what is it like when you finally pick it up again? When you return to those songs you recorded nearly 25 years ago. When you return to the mission in San Francisco, only to find a much different place than before. These are things about nostalgia that can't really be placed or properly described. But they are interesting. As Marcel Proust said, remembrance of things past is not necessarily the remembrance of things as they were. Just as San Francisco and the mission has changed, so has the people behind the music.
1: It's pretty emotional, like, going back into those songs. In We do it in San Francisco. And so feeling like the transformation of that city
0: yeah.
1: now, like it's not the mission that we left, we last saw. Right, yeah. And then playing these kind of classically missions-based songs is, is interesting. Yeah. Like speaking of nostalgia and bitter reflection, that's, yeah. that's present. Correct. It's very tiring, I find. Sure. Like in ways that are probably much more about based on memory and emotion than on actual physicality. Right. So we'll we'll run through like our entire set. We're also fifty, so that has something to do with it. But like, there's an exhaustion that you just sleep really well at night after doing it. Yeah, and I don't know. That's an, I've never had that before. Right. Adam and I talked about it, and I had a strategy at the beginning that I think he had too. And I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to be in a Jawbreaker cover band. Right. Like it's like Jawbreaker karaoke." Yeah, because the feeling was like when I started singing. I think I use a very specific voice in that band right. and it was there. And I was like, Oh, I'm just, I know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an affectation, but it is like a very specific voice and like part of the throat. Right. And so it was just kind of coming out very naturally. And I thought, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I'm still discovering it. And there's some songs we're not doing because I just can't get my voice there, or the guitar parts were so idiosyncratic and weird that I can't figure them out. Right. Part of this was just relearning those songs. Each of us like studied before we got together. Right. And that was really interesting. I used a lot of tab sites. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be kind of surreal, like going to a going to a website, it's kind
0: of like paying tribute to something you did, like using it as a tool to relearn. Yeah, I'm on the other side of it, man. <laughs> Taking back. I think that'd be kind of amazing <laughs> for like, the person who created that song. So they're, using, they're using this again now for their
1: own songs. It's, it's a great thumbnail. Yeah. You know, it's never the exact thing that gets me in the ballpark and it's like, oh no, but being me, of course, I did the chord wrong in a way that's like Jawbreaker-esque. Right, right. I'm a pretty like technically inept guitarist.
0: But that's my, my ace in the hole, you know? It's like, I could come up with chords that just fit my hands. And so the band will return to the stage for the first time in 21 years, to a massive crowd of friends, new fans and old, and revisit the past. And just like nostalgia, there's no way to predict how it will go. Especially in, the, in this moment, I feel
1: like it's a great time for people to be kind of together with music that's about resistance and like critical thinking. And I think there's going to be a lot of goodwill there. People just like eager for something positive. I'll use that word, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a, in a world as cynical as it is right now. Yeah. So I think that will kind of carry the day. I, feel, I just feel like the energy there is going to be good. Yeah. And um, I know we'll fuck up, not blow it, but I know there'll be mistakes, you know, there'll be like, hopefully some comedy and hopefully some like raw emotion and hopefully some skill.
0: And there you have it. Thank you again for listening to the very first episode of Missing Words, the podcast. I want to truly thank Blake Schwarzenbach for the interview. Blake is one of my favorite musicians, and it was an honor to talk to him about the band and the reunion. As we've mentioned, Jawbreaker will reunite at Riot Fest in Chicago on September 17th. Tickets are on sale now at RiotFest.org. You will certainly see me there singing along. Thank you also to Bill Schuldis for producing this podcast and making me hopefully not sound like a total and utter bozo. We'll be back soon for episode two of Missing Words, the podcast. You can stay tuned to missingwords.com. That's missing-words.com for updates. Thanks again.